When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm doing all right. I am appropriately fine, as your dear friend Eric says. Yeah, we're, we're appropriately fine. I decided I didn't have enough podcasts under my belt. <laughs> True. And I've been looking for any excuse to watch The O.C., and I know that you love The O.C. I do. And I knew that if you don't mind us opening this can of worms right out the gate, you're going through something that usually requires an O.C. rewatch. Yeah, there's a there's a whole story. There's a whole story to the OC and why I watch it when I'm going through something difficult. So recently, my boyfriend of almost three years became an ex-boyfriend. Oof. Yeah, it's fine. It's his loss. Uh, Agreed. It's okay. Um, I'm feeling very Taylor Swift about it. You know, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'll release an album later and it'll be fine. This is what happens when you fuck with creative people. Like, you know, you, you end up living forever and not in the good way. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so about it, over a decade ago, I was actually thinking about it in preparation for our session today. And over a decade ago, I had such very strong feelings for a close friend of mine. And it was to the point, it was the first time I'd ever felt so strongly about someone that was more than just pure lust. Like it was like, I imagined a life together with him. And, you know, I was in my early 20s. And it was the first time that I ever experienced that. So it was very, very, very difficult. And um, we went through a friend breakup, because he was straight. He's he's a straight man. So that was part of the comp the complex nature of it all. But we went through a friend breakup and I never, it was difficult for me to understand what that was. And this was at a time, you know, over 10 years ago when streaming wasn't really a thing, was sort of a thing, not really. And I happened to have all the seasons of The O.C. on DVD. Now, I had never watched The O.C. past season one live So I'd watched season one live when it was on um, Fox. And then every season I just caught when I could. All the other episodes I caught when I could. But I had the DVDs with me. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start watching them. And that's how I kind of, you know, laid and worked through my way through the stages of grief was to 
work through those work through the seasons of the OC and the four seasons of grief. Yeah, the four the <laughs> exactly anger, <laughs> depression. And it was, you know, it's very it, it's very of its time period. It's such it's such an easy thing just to get lost in. Um and it like jumps the shark various times. <laughs> In various seasons, several times in various seasons. Here's, here's a hot take. I think it jumps and then gets off of jumping the shark a couple times just in the first episode. Yes. <laughs> My mood went from like, I hate to hate this to I love this like three different times in episode one. I feel like it finds its footing by episode two. Um, yes. But <laughs> it knows what it wants to be. It knows it, it, it definitely is like when you're watching it, you're like, I am watching the trailer, right? Like I feel like I'm watching an episode long trailer. Yes. It's the, so I want it to uh, in the name of solidarity, what I would have loved to have been able to do is experience this for the first time, the same way you did through DVDs. And I thought that God had blessed me with a gift when I was at a Goodwill the other day and saw all four seasons sitting on a shelf and said, ah, this is a sign. And then I pulled them off the shelf to see that the Goodwill had individually marked them at $14 per season. And I was like, I ain't paying no $14 for a used DVD of the OC when I know that that shit is on HBO Max right now. (laughs) yeah, no, like I mean that's what maybe six dollars less for five dollars. To buy less it new on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah like... exactly. No, to buy it like new from Sam Goody. Like yeah. it was, it was... <laughs> I'm like, no, no way. There's absolutely four, not. Fourteen so. could be a reasonable price for all four seasons combined, but like yeah. individually each, no thank you, Goodwill. What are you doing out there in these streets I, I with those said, prices? Like, I'll give you sixteen for all four seasons. Like, yeah, that because the season four is season four by far has the fewest episodes out of all of them because they were just they were over it by yeah. that point. Well, and that's so bringing up episode count. That's the other exciting thing because I'm sure that some of you are sitting there going, Matt Kelly and Joe, what the fuck are you thinking? Adding more podcasts on your plate, and I think that one of the things we were thinking is 92 episodes and then we're done with this show. (laughs) It kind of pisses me off a little bit that they didn't just try to like pump out eight episodes. (laughs) Just to get that smooth hundred. Yeah. That syndication number. By the time you get to season four though, like you'll, by the end of season three, you will be like, you will also be ready (laughs) for the end of this. I've I've heard that from not just you, but multiple other people that I've told that we're doing this journey. I should give a quick disclaimer up front, though. Uh, so for the people who are listening to this, in, in the name of the crazy schedule that Joe and I have, we are bulk recording a lot of episodes. And, and that means that for pretty much, I would guesstimate the entire run of this podcast, we're always going to be a couple months behind what's happening in the real world. And uh, I say that just because, you know, we might make references to things that end up feeling dated by the time this episode comes out. And, uh, you know, just give us some grace. And Joe, I'm curious, do you think Betty White's going to make it to be 100 years old or like... I was gonna say, like, uh, like, you know, I, I, I'm planning this trip to the to Ukraine in, in a little bit. I, I can't wait to go. To- Do you think King Charles will ever get to be in charge of the throne, or like, yeah, exactly? Um, basically, what Matt is like has beautifully said is, please don't cancel us because we are we're doing our best. Yeah. to uh, try to 
keep the illusion that we are that this is a weekly thing yeah if so, god forbid something happens to adam brody months after i record an episode saying adam brody is just a perfect human being i don't need you like coming at me to let me know like what about this newspaper article that came out yesterday where he said this really deflammatory thing and i'm like well, yeah I, like he- we don't leave us alone <laughs> we're doing our best case in point here here's a fun example case in point uh fright school we uh, my other podcast fright school right now out now and and the geekscape network um we we did uh, every every January we do a uh, franchise, and in January of 2021 we did The Purge, which, if you remember January 2021, there was you know this thing called the insurrection, that was like our own like real life purge. So, and we recorded in bulk. Yeah, those episodes episode. felt the, they they felt weirdly prescient. <laughs> listening to them all right i I think that we've given a good example of what this show is we you've come up with the name of this show which we're we're calling uh white people problems and within two episodes that's all i've watched so far is two episodes uh i get it (laughs) white people problems yeah so white people problems comes from the idea that like you know as i'm watching this it's like it's purely it's part wish fulfillment, but also just part diversion. And there's nothing quite like getting lost in like the white people problems of the <laughs> residents of Newport Beach with their too much money and horses with alopecia and <laughs> potential insider trading and, you know, securities fraud and, you know, the uh, all these things. So that's where I'm that's why I was like we should do this and we should do it this way because this is exactly how I see the show is that it's it's more a commentary on class than anything because when everybody's white the only thing you can really talk about is class. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. So I hit play on this episode and there's no credits nothing. We get a cold open right out yeah. the gate. And the first line of dialogue is already exposition and I'm rolling my eyes where he's just like, as your big brother, which which is a sentence that I have never once as a big brother to three siblings, I have never started a sentence stressing, well, as your big brother, I think it's time that I blah, 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 blah. See, but like, you're going to do that now, aren't you? You're, oh, you're like, time. going to find a way to shoe- shoehorn it in. As your uncle, like speaking to, you know, as your, as ex-family member. Yeah. This is a very dramatic opening sequence and something that I pieced together right away is one of the first shows that you introduced me to. And it's worth bringing it up because it's also a little bit of the inspiration for this podcast was the Gilmore Girls and thus also the Gilmore Guys podcast. Mm -hmm. I noticed one of the big differences is that I would say that Gilmore Girls was a comedy show that occasionally had dramatic beats. And I very quickly learned that the OC is a dramatic show that sometimes has comedic beats. Yeah. I'm I'm nothing if not a person who loves balance. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we have this opening scene. We're introduced to Ryan. We're introduced to his brother, Troy. Troy? Trey? Trey. Trey. They are stealing a car and immediately getting into a police chase that like literally ends with them getting hit by two police cars from different it is it is so over the top with how they set up the beginning of this character of Ryan 
And yeah, I'm starting the show kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. It's the most (laughs) McGee thing ever. It really is, but it's Doug Lyman kicking this shit off, which, I mean, like, this is a guy who did Swingers, you know? Like, he's... But then he did Go, so I guess that makes... Like, this is fresh off a Go, but... Yeah, so it's just like, okay, so let's let's figure out, like, what are are we trying to do? What are we trying to say here? Yeah. And, you know... I don't I actually don't know the history of like when this I think it premiered in August, uh, probably August or July, because it it mirrors the school year as most, you know, most shows of Fox uh, at this time. And so but it it has like it's one of those things where it's like if I wouldn't be surprised if this show uh, was a premiere right after the Super Bowl, you know, because it like it has just enough action in the first episode to get people to not turn the channel. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it, it's uh, and it's never like this again. Like it doesn't have that kind of <laughs> that high octane. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna get into that next week. Uh, I think that there we'll we'll get there. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but look too soon. But uh, yeah, the we we immediately were introduced to Ryan. Ryan gets arrested. We're immediately introduced to Sandy Cohen. Um, he has a great line. Pretty much the first thing he says. The courts assigned me to be your defender. You could do worse. Yeah. Which I got to say, right out the gate, really, really just like Sandy Cohen. Like Peter Gallagher is just so instantly likable in this role. And it's kind of like what you hope of a public defender, which is like a public defender who really does want the best for his clients and his understanding of his clients' circumstances with their home lives and and stuff like that. And, you know, he's just very, very likable. It's also during this scene that Ryan states that he read an article recently that said that social security is going to run up in 2025, which really made two years away. Yeah. Two years away. Did not, it seems feasible still here in 2022. I mean, stranger in the in the intervening time since this episode premiered that so much has happened so it it would not surprise me if we get to that point and to your point about um to your point about peter gallagher like this was supposed to be the peter gallagher vehicle like he has top billing in the credits it centers around him he's got he he is he is supposed to be like he's billed as like the dad star of this, you yeah. know, that, like Alan. He's the Alan Thick. They had to know. They had to know even making this show that they were about to put like four of the sexiest teenagers on one show that the kid, the main audience that was tuning in wasn't going to tune in to see what Daddy Cohen was up to. They were going to be checking in on the yeah. the rest of the cast. Yeah, it, it, it's very like it, it would be like if you did this now, like it would be like someone it would be like it would be Milo Ventimiglia. Like basically it would yeah. be someone like that from from it's the service to the folks of that generation. Yes. So Yeah, no, I, yeah. I can understand. You, you enjoyed the Sandy Cohen of it all. Yeah, I like the Sandy Cohen of it all. We we meet Ryan's uh, mother and stepfather. And man, it's just it's like. This kid's getting punched in the face. He's getting thrown out of the house. And what made me laugh possibly shouldn't have laughed. But we've had all of this drama in the first five minutes. And then suddenly it is just the most 
chill ass cheery California by Vandal Planet, the first song we hear in this show. It is it is not the appropriate song for the footage that we've just seen, but I mean, we just did an episode. At the time that we're recording this, I just did an episode on the song California by Phantom Planet for One Hit Thunder. And like this show made that song a hit two years after it was released. Like that song came out in 2001 and was barely creeped into the top 40. It was like 38 was where it peaked out. But after this show, it was an unavoidable song that you heard everywhere yeah anytime you walked into a hollister an american <laughs> eagle a a aeropostale like any mall store that sold basically the wardrobe for the kids of newport you heard this song yes so ryan's calling making a bunch of phone calls he's trying to get someone to take him in now that he's been kicked out of his house and at a le- in a last ditch effort he calls daddy cohen and there's this establishing shot not even an establishing shot it's just ryan is sitting outside of this like liquor store corner shop and i spent more time than necessary trying to decide if i have actually seen or been at that shopping center or if just every shopping center in los angeles looks exactly like that one and i never really came to a conclusion on that no you're you're correct also like he is easily he is easily in his mid to late 20s i'm not sure of his age at the time listen we gotta if we're gonna talk about ages we gotta wait until seth gets introduced because but like he looks like looking back on it now like he looks like a grown-ass man and he's sitting there with his bmx bike like (laughs) trying like i'm like oh no sweetie no and then, you know, Sandy Cohen comes in and they stuff it in the back of, I'm assuming it's his Beamer, right? It's a, it's a BMW. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Luxury yeah. Podcast car. hosted by the two least knowledgeable car guys uh, on the internet. No. <laughs> I like this scene of Sandy Cohen driving Ryan to his house. Obviously, this is my first time watching the show, but I know the opening credits well enough to realize that even just half the scenes that Ryan sees looking out the window become staples of the actual opening credits of the show, which I think is actually pretty cool. Like I, I like that they found a way to work those shots into that drive-by sequence. So it's not just like generic orange County stock footage in the credits for no real, with no real weight. It actually adds uh, a little bit of weight to that because it, it is, you know, I don't know what this show ends up being, but, from what I'm seeing right now, it definitely feels like we are seeing the OC specifically. We're supposed to be seeing this specifically through Ryan's eyes. Ryan sure. is kind of our our main protagonist that we are following and rooting for. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that his, his visions driving through the OC for the first time becoming the opening credit seems to further stress that in a, in a very weird symbolic way. Yeah, this is kind of how I want, uh, this is kind of like one of my, like the most perfect cold opens for like any drama series, soap, like nighttime soap opera. Yeah. Just because it is, it, it truly, it truly tells you what this is about from the get go. And then that ties into every single episode moving forward, at least through the first season. And then as things change, the dynamic of the the dynamics of the characters, 
um, interplay with one another. They grow. You see how that grows a little bit. But in the first season, you like you are so you are hit over the head with the fact that this is a fish out of water story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a coming of age fish out of water. We are ready. We're we are we know exactly what we're getting ourselves into. Yes, for sure. Uh, so we get to the Cohen's house, and this is when Sandy's like, "Hey." Um, I'm going to need to go inside for a little bit because I haven't even taken the time to to warn my family that we have <laughs> a, a new child living with us. Um, and as Ryan is waiting outside, we meet Marissa Cooper. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if this will come up in every single episode, but uh, I do want to highlight things that I got wildly incorrect on my assumption of <laughs> this this show. Uh, I, for some reason, always thought that Seth and Marissa were siblings, not neighbors. So that was my first real shock was, oh, this is the next door neighbor. Um, Joe, you are, I would say that you are way more in touch with uh, the the almost TMZ-esque celebrity gossip world of things. <laughs> you just, you seem to always know what's going on, what happens. What happened with Misha Barton? Because when I clicked into her like Wikipedia page, this girl who I remember being like an it girl when this show dropped has mm-hmm. has just a Wikipedia and IMDb filled with things I have never heard of like movie and TV show wise after this somehow. You know, not to get again, you know, thank you. I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the kind words. I may completely I may completely bung, uh, bungle this up, but my perception of, you know, of what has happened like post OC was just the fact that like she was she was getting into a lot of trouble outside of the show and ended up needing to leave and you know all the myriad of issues like she was definitely there there's some truth in the party girl aspect of marissa cooper that uh she was able to play into especially of that time period gotcha you know some people handle fame differently like she was very much the ideal uh, the you know stereotypical ideal of you know cis female beauty at the time at least being portrayed on television and you i don't think she handled it well i know she didn't handle it well and she said she said as much uh since but you know when in speaking about the oc and especially like because you hear often i hear like you know are they going to do a reunion it's like well no like she is the one person who's like we are not doing a reunion <laughs> I want nothing to do with this show anymore. Um, and I don't think it, and Seth, uh, Seth Cohen, um, Adam Brody has said as much, like everyone's pretty much said as much as that, like, you know, they, it's a chapter that they don't want to revisit. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, of the people who um, definitely shouldn't be revisiting that it's her for sure. Okay. Fair enough. And you mentioned Seth. Well, I guess we'll get right there because the next morning, we are introduced to Seth Cohen, and and I wrote down that Seth's introduction might be one of the most perfect character introductions I've ever seen. Yeah, I almost never immediately like a character as quickly as I liked Seth Cohen watching this. I do want to stress, though, as we were talking about how old Ryan looks sitting outside with his bike, it's like watching Tom Hanks and Big in certain shots of this first episode <laughs> with like a 24-year-old Adam Brody trying to portray like 
a 16, 17 year old high schooler. And it's just like, it just feels weirdly off. Like, it's just like, boy, you are too old to be this weird and awkward and childish about stuff. Yeah. To be like plugged into your living room television and sitting in your pajamas, um, sitting crisscross applesauce, like (laughs) crunching down some cereal in the morning. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, Ooh, this literally like, I get it. You're trying to play young, but I feel like when you were asked to play young in your head, you're like, so 12, got it. Like it's just channeling. And even like throughout the rest of the show, he doesn't come off that young. Like they, they really, this first scene, it's like, is he supposed to be 13? Like how old is this character supposed to be? But he is so likable. They go out on his boat called the summer breeze, which is a little bit creepy. (laughs) A little bit creepy to name your boat after a girl who doesn't know you exist uh, and have who you're obsessed with. (laughs) And look, I know that I'm two episodes deep right now. I don't get it. Maybe I'll come around this summer, but like, I think both episodes I wrote down the note, man, summer sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand it. And they, once we get to, you know, episode 12, Okay. You'll start to you'll understand a little bit more. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll wait for that day to come. But yes, they do uh they do end up going to a fashion show at this point to see Hold on. Marissa. No, it's oh. a, it's an annual fashion show for the battered women's shelter. Jesus like, Christ. I <laughs> It's like it's like welcome to our annual fashion show, you know, all funds go to support the battered women's shelter. And I was like this is the most tone deaf bullshit <laughs> ever. <laughs> Well, one of the notes I wrote, I'm jumping down a couple of notes, but uh, you'll appreciate that my one note says the library is open backstage at this fashion show. And it's the woman saying if she had a chest to hold it up, maybe she'd be wearing it. It's called puberty, dear. Like, I was just like, holy shit. But yeah, I do love this weird fashion show sequence because this is that moment where you are like, you're like, okay. This is fantastical. We are we are like living in a full blown fantasy world of like the high school experiences of the the children of Newport Beach at this moment. Yeah. Like it's it's wild. There's two lines in this particular episode that I uh, wrote the quote and followed it with only in 2003, baby. Uh, and we get the first one of those when Luke says, "Suck it, queer." And I thought, yeah. "All right, well." <laughs> There's, there's you, that. <laughs> keep, please keep note every single time though the those every single time you you hear like a homophobic slur. Yeah, just, just let's keep a tally. We'll keep uh, a tally for sure. The, yeah. because again, you know my my friend Ashley said this one time on an episode of of Horror Movie Night. Uh, she was a guest on the show, uh, Ashley Robinson of the Geek History Lesson Podcast. Go check that out. She was talking about how. You know, in 2000, when you get to the 2000s, you th- you sometimes think that we were more progressive at that time than we actually were. And all it takes is watching something like an episode of The Mole and realizing how just blatantly homophobic things still were uh, on television. And uh, this was definitely one of those moments because I, I literally don't think you would hear a line like this in a TV show now unless it was intended to be, hey, this character is a homophobe type hate crime line. You know what I mean? Like, just saying it casually to a guy that you don't like in your class is like, 
I don't think we will. And thankfully, I don't think we'll ever see that again on a TV show. And I'm I'm a okay with that personally. Uh, I'm I don't know your opinions on it, Joe, but I assume same. Well, it's so it's so uh, it's to like your point, innocent, right? it's but like, like shitty simultaneously. Yeah, it, to your point, the argument. Well, not the argument, but like the prevailing thought, especially around like creatives and people who write television and who who are writing about those experiences, is that you know we can you have a show where we're dealing with homophobia, but we're not saying like, we're not saying queer or faggot or anything like that. Can you have a show where you're dealing with racism, where you're not saying the N word or you're not saying, you know, those things. Yeah. Um, and then also to like, you know, can you have stories about like queer people, black people, brown people, where the, the trauma is not at the center of it. No. Right. I, and that was, I'm, I remember that being, Something that when I was watching something like Happiest Season as a straight person, I was like, oh, that's a cute little Christmas story. But then as I talked to more and more of my my queer friends, them all saying like, yeah, it's it's cute. But like, I'm so over the, oh, how do I come out to my parents story at this point? And so yeah. and. I get that now. And now I like look for that. I'm like, I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather just watch a show where a character's sexuality is almost like the fourth most notable thing about the character. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, did you watch Heart Heartstopper? I didn't. Oh, Matt, <laughs> you may need to watch Heartstopper. You, you specifically, because you keep talking about like, <laughs> You keep talking about uh, let it snow and all, like you need to watch Heartstopper. All right, all right. <laughs> um, but um, Heartstopper um, addresses the the like the the thing I loved about Heartstopper is that it talks about the idea of coming out and like the how that is fraught, but not from a place of like homophobia. From a place of like I am unsure if this is who I am at this moment though the feelings that I have are undeniable. So it's that Ooh, extra layer that like, I, like I feel. That. <laughs> yeah, it's the extra layer that like queer people have, especially really young queer people, because it takes place in a, in a secondary school in, in England. So it's like, you know, I am pretty sure that I am still like this, but I also have these feelings that are undeniable. So how do I negotiate that? And there's a trans character in Heartstopper where like, the fact that she is trans is just like incidental to the show. We deal nothing with her trauma, but she still has a very rich storyline. Yeah. I And so like that's that's one of those ways where I'm like, okay, this show for what they're doing, they're doing it really well. And to bring it back to like the OC, it's like how do you note that like how do you know um note that Luke is an asshole, but like he he's a he's a problematic asshole, but at the same time like you not use any of the epithets and for me in this time period you can't yeah because he is it's at the height of privilege like it's the height of his privilege as like you know cis straight white male like captain of the water polo team i don't think it comes out in this episode but he is obviously the captain <laughs> of the water polo team. it's literally the next episode it comes out that he's the captain of the water <laughs> polo team it is something this is this is definitely it's something to think about. I'm definitely going to have to check out Heart Stoppers. And I, I think that the, the sexuality thing is an interesting thing to talk about. I was just having this conversation with a friend the other day where I was talking about how, like, 
I would never say that I am asexual, but I think in comparison to a lot of the other straight men that I know, I feel like I'm asexual because it's not as much of a like, you know, even like guys from from even like high school, like there was such this like American pie hunt, like I need to lose my virginity by X. And I like never had that. And I was like, but I also know friends who are very legitimately asexual and I am more sexually driven than them but like it's like so where's where's that weird middle ground like you know like it's all that's why they say sexuality is a spectrum it is this like unidentifiable thing and that's what i love about that idea of like yeah maybe i want to come out now but i might not feel coming out in four years like our our everything's so fluid and like it's ever-changing and it's you know the same way someone could be a woman dating only men for her entire life and then all of a sudden have this beautiful, unexpected experience with a woman and it changes everything for yeah. her. But who knows? Who knows? It's 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 an interesting conversation to have. I'll tell you one thing, though. I am very quickly realizing in the OC that you know I might not be able to identify as asexual, but I can definitely identify as Seth Cohen um, because... <laughs> Because so many things that he says, I'm like, yeah, that's me. And and the big one that like sealed it for me in the first episode is when Summer first walks into the party and he's talking to Ryan. He's talking fast and very neurotically. He has a very like almost Woody Allen-esque cadence. Yes. But he says like, she's over there. Don't look at her. Well, like you can look at her, but don't act like you're looking at her. <laughs> I'm like, that's, I feel like I have absolutely used that exact like wordage to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think uh, I think the Yiddish word is nebbish. Yes, <laughs> it's like it's very Woody, like Woody Allen, like very nebbish, very neurotic. Also, too, like so. Here's the thing: like I'm gonna, I'll just come out and say it because it's the first episode, so it's establishing everything. When I watched this the first time, when during that first binge, like the OC was truly the first show that I ever binge watched, and at the time I was like, oh my god, Seth Cohen my ideal man he is he looked and he looked like the guy that i was obsessed with at the time so like that was part of it as well there was some like wish fulfillment there and i wanted someone to pine for me in the way that he pines for for summer uh but like watching it now like seth cohen is the whiniest bitch oh yeah like like how like the whole like he keeps talking about how bad newport is and how like the the privilege of everybody and all these things and i'm like bruh you are like also well like <laughs> you are also do a part of but it. i feel like in both this episode and the next episode he gets called out on that by different characters even yeah. i mean in this episode sandy gets called out on it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like sandy makes a comment where he's like you know i just want him I, you know, maybe maybe Seth needs to meet someone who's not part of this rich community, and and Kristen's like, well, you're certainly living off of the advantage of being part of this community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I I do think that that is for episode one. Like, as much as this show, I think can be pigeonholed as this very weird teen drama soap opera. Like, it mm-hmm. is projecting some really heavy identity questions like that where 
Like, I do like that where Sandy Cohen is a guy who is not afraid to take advantage of the privilege that he has, right? Like, if he yeah. wasn't living in this mansion of a house with a very wealthy wife, he also wouldn't be able to bring in this kid off the streets into his yeah. home. But because he had a background of being someone who came from nothing, he does feel like he can't ever identify with the trust fund kids that are filling yeah. this town. Like, And then you have Kirsten, who, you know, is a Newport local, like Newport baby through and through. Like she has been, she grew up there. Her her father is the king of Newport, is, you know, one of the leading developer of the, of of um real estate developer and she's in the family business so like she is very aware of her privilege and to her credit too you know she it's it, she doesn't she falls into it in the future i'm trying not to i'm trying not to get too spoilery yeah. in the in, as we go on but like in this moment it's just like well as she's calling sandy out it's like you know i i'm just trying to keep our, our i'm just trying to keep our family and our son safe in the way that I know how and the way that makes me feel safe. Well, uh, like, it, it, for, yeah. No, I, I, I can't remember if it was this episode or very early in the next episode, but I did write down that they are doing a fantastic job of like a lesser show would make Kirsten a villain right out the gate. And yeah, and they do a great job of making sure that you're seeing this through her being a protective mother's eyes more than anything else. She, she doesn't wish bad on Ryan you know it's not like a get him back where he belongs because that's where like all those riffraff should stay but more of just like uh this guy's been here for 24 hours and my son who has never really done anything to toe over the line is like got black eyes from being in a giant fight and is drunk for the first time like you know like a mother would be immediately turned that could have been Ryan could have literally just been another high schooler from Newport Beach and she would still be like I do not want this kid in my home you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so I, I do respect that aspect ever. We do have uh, the party scene. So the, the fashion show kind of comes and goes pretty quickly. All things considered, yeah. it's, it's almost like it is very distinctly a plot device of we need to get Ryan to a party. How do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And there's going to be plenty more of those, like, in this season, yeah. there will be plenty more of these, like, charity functions. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I, I hope that the charity functions turn into, like, what charmed me so much in Gilmore Girls, which was just Stars Hollow having a thousand and one different traditions that are just more and more absurd every season. <laughs> um, I I'm going to hold my tongue on that. Um will you you you'll be the you'll be the judge of it. Okay. It feels like every episode is a different thing. Um <laughs> It's So we go to the party at the beach. We go to house. the party at the beach house. I l actually do love this line of Ryan walking into this party and it is it's as crazy as a Fox primetime show will show you. Of a crazy for teenagers. for teenagers of a crazy party, but he just goes, Welcome to the dark side. And it's this moment where you're just like, you don't necessarily get the vibe that Ryan's like, sweet, these are my people, but it's more just like him realizing that even this perfect little town has the drugs, the cocaine, the sex, all the seediness of Chino. Yeah. Um, that they're not exactly. they're not exempt from from the world he grew up in. 
Uh, no, but the only thing they're exempt from is the consequences. The consequences of it, yes. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a couple of really good Seth Cohen lines throughout the episode, but a, a big one that I liked was when he goes to walk into the bathroom, and you don't really fully see what's happening in there, but he just walks out and goes, man, I guess I really should knock in case there's a three-way happening in the bathrooms, <laughs> um, where you're just like, this is... This party is off the hook. Like Seth is pointing out that there's cocaine use happening there. Obviously, there's the, one of the first things you see is a girl just in her bra and panties dancing around while drinking. Like it is a very 2002 high school party. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, this is where you really get to meet Summer fully. And I just still don't see what Seth sees in her at this point. Like beyond the fact that she's Rachel Bilson, right? Like, and Rachel Bilson is, in fact, gorgeous. Like, that whole sequence where he's talking to her after he thinks that she's flirting with Ryan, like, if I put myself in Seth Cohen's shoes, I'd be turned off at that point. I'd be like, oh, this isn't the person that I fantasize this person to be. She's yep. she's literally the embodiment of everything he bitches about Newport Beach in one human being. Yep. It's it's very confusing. And then, obviously, that the first big strike against Seth, that moment without him even giving Ryan a second to explain what's happening, which like, yeah, she's a really drunk girl. Like you should be open to hearing <laughs> Ryan's side of it for a second. Yeah. Just outs Ryan's entire backstory to the whole You're party. like instant best friend. Yeah. <laughs> the first person to treat you nice, which like the fact that a Ryan doesn't throw that back in his face of like motherfucker, like everyone treats you like shit, but me, but that Ryan still steps up to fight on Seth's behalf is is great and i think this is my last quote from seth that i wrote down but he walks over to the beach luke and all of the water polo jocks start roughing them out roughing them up and he goes yeah but you like really wouldn't want to hurt me right because that would be so cliche and then they pick him up and he goes okay so you guys are friends of the cliche it was at that line that i put down like i feel like someone else is writing seth's dialogue compared to the rest of the characters of this show because it is almost leaps and bounds more like wittier and funnier unless the only other thing I can think of is unless Josh Schwartz literally sees himself as Seth and gives him the best lines. Like I know Kevin Smith always said that with clerks, he wanted to be Randall so bad that he made sure that Randall had all of the best lines in the first clerks movie. Like he was just like, that's the person I want to be. So he needs to be the wittiest and funniest person. And then like everyone else's dialogue kind of was on the back burner to him on priorities no yeah I, I i agree i think that that's also one of the ways that they set him apart from everybody yeah. because he is witty because he's very sharp he is attuned he's an observer of the world like he's not a participant he's an observer and because of that he gets to have the commentary on everybody else as they're you know doing all the things that he wishes he could be a part of but just doesn't know how to be a part of it not until ryan gets there at least no i think yeah the, and you know they get beat up i i wouldn't say they won the fight and this is the second thing that i always incorrectly assumed about the show which is that luke yells welcome to the oc bitch which i knew was a line from the show Perhaps because mm -hmm. of Snooky and the Jersey Shore, I always assumed it was a girl who said that line. It just felt yeah. like a drunk girl line to it's me. It's a drunk somebody line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we get that line from Luke. They go back to the pool house, and I really do like the aesthetic of this pool house, which is A, massive for a pool house. But uh, I 
specifically like Seth is like falling asleep on what looks to be like a couch that's built out of pool chair cushions. Yep. And I love it. I'm like, I love the, the look of this. I feel like that would also be super comfy to fall asleep on. Love that there is like the centerpiece of this entire pool house is like a bed yeah. in the middle. <laughs> it's just a bed in the middle of the room. Yeah, it's been 24 hours. They either already had that bed in the pool house or... <laughs> Or it's like they it's moved a, it so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they moved it so quickly or it's a couch. Yeah. It's um, so because like, why would you have a full ass bed in your pool house? I mean, another Gilmore girls throw to why do so many shows with rich people immediately have them converting pool houses into mini apartments for teenagers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> white people problems. That's why we call it. I was like, this show is white people. Problems. Seth drunkenly falls asleep. Ryan goes outside for a cigarette, which he's not allowed to have on the Cohen property. So strike on Ryan. He's breaking the rules. Um, and that's when he sees that, oh, cool. Marissa's friends also suck. And they're just going to kind of leave her out in the middle of her driveway. This is where we get another very 2003 line uh, where they use the hard R word to describe how Marissa can be when she gets drunk. Yeah. yeah that was, I, God, I f- fell out of my chair. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, I guess we're going for it all. We're going for it all, man. Yeah. I was, which again, episode two, we really don't get any of those things. I was like, all right. So maybe they're just, they're going out hard on episode one. <laughs> but one of my notes after that scene happens, I wrote, man, Cooper's friends suck too. Is this show just about how everyone but the Coens and Ryan suck in this town? For the most part, my friend. Uh, and then it's the next morning, and of of course, Sandy Cohen is a surfboarding lawyer. Why why wouldn't he be a surfboarding lawyer? Him showing up to just be like, babe, the waves. <laughs> like I was just like, oh man, I'm even more endeared to this character. But that is. That is such a funny, unnecessary thing to throw into his character. <laughs> yeah, it, it really doesn't need to... It, it makes sense in the context of, like, what what appeal would... What appeal would a New York boy from the Bronx have? Like, what would appeal to him, you know, as far as, like, California or being in California? And so, like, surfing seems to be the natural thing. Plus, it's very SoCal... Who doesn't love the cool dad who surfs? I had uh, I had my theater teacher in high school was like that. Like he was an older guy and he was always talking about going surfing and stuff. And um, I mean, one of the people that I, I can want you to know that he's the cool dad. Yeah, I mean, one of the people that I like, uh, I would I've never met this man, so he has no clue of this. But I would say like one of my spiritual leaders, one of the the people who inspires me in my faith is Rob Bell, who's based out of L.A. Mm-hmm. and like. If you read any of his books, it constantly comes back to how he goes and surfs every morning so long as the weather is right, because that's like his form of prayer and meditation is just being at peace with the waves and nature for an hour or two. And it there is a very appealing aspect to surfing that um, I don't have the balance to do. So, so I'll never get to uh, enjoy or appeal. No. It'll never appeal to me because I can't do it. I haven't the balance nor the body. Strength. Yes. Uh, and we'll get into that because Seth Cohen has a ho- hobby that I also struggle with the balance and body strength of, but that we don't find out about that until next week. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Now, one of the things that I do distinctly remember about this show, as someone who didn't watch it when it was airing, was that right out the gate, everyone talked about the soundtrack of this show. This was like one of the soundtrack shows. So I've been making sure to write down every single song that has appeared in the show. Uh, We'll just call this, I don't know, we'll call this segment like the the music of the OC. But uh, I'm not going to include California by Phantom Planet every single week, but... This has a little bit more of a highlight spot in it than just a normal opening credit song. So we get we get California by Phantom Planet. Uh, when Ryan and Seth are hanging out on the boat, we get to hear Slightly Stupid Sweet Honey. The fashion so- show song is called All Around the World, the punk debutante by Cooler Kids. Mm-hmm. They walk into the party scene and the sweet sounds of an early pre-Fergie Black Eyed Peas is playing with hands up. Um, when they're talking at the party, we hear I'm a Player by the KGB. During the beach fight, we hear Maximum Roach's song, Let It Roll. Uh, there's a very sweet scene where um, Ryan is carrying Coop into the pool house that is soundtracked by Mazzy Stars Into the Dust. I actually missed one of these. Uh, when they jump into the truck to go to the party, All American Rejects' Swing Swing is playing very loudly. And uh, the final scene where Sandy's driving Ryan to his home, we hear Honey and the Moon by Joseph Joseph Author. I wanted to do a segment every week on this, and I, I sent you this, Joe, this morning, which is, uh, what is the standout song of the episode for you? And I actually, I, I had three that I was battling with, okay. but then I landed on one specifically. Okay. So I had two that I was battling with. I like you, you know, the way that they introduce the theme song, it's perfect for it because it's like, it's all exposition. It's the introduction to the character. It's the introduction to everything. And I think it's just the perfect use of it. And that's the, you know, the the California by fan. And that's one of the three that I was juggling. I had that on there for that reason too. Like, we're never gonna. Yeah. We're. It will never be in the contention for song of the episode ever again after this, as far as I know, unless it's in like the final no. episode somewhere. But no, no, no. Like that. This is to me like the second one was swing swing because I just think like <laughs> so the, it's just you're hitting the beats. Swing swing was what made me want to do this segment originally because it's so. It is 2003. Like that is. Yeah, it's before the All American Rejects really got like their. It's before Dirty Little Secret. It's before. Move along. You know, it's before their hits. And so it's just like, it's that perfect sweet spot of like, oh, like, you know, my. I could easily say that like there are people who probably their entire personality was the soundtrack to the different like 
the different um, episodes of the OC. But it, it's perfectly placed in there for what it does and how it transitions into the party scene. But because it's the first episode and of just like setting everything up, it's Phantom Planet for me. Okay. It's the Phantom Planet song. Okay. Uh, so Phantom Planet and Swing Swing were, were on my list, but I actually, I'm going to go with a song that I literally didn't know until watching this episode, which is mm-hmm. The Honey in the Moon by Joseph Author. There's, there's something about the sound of that song, the sadness to the song, the way that it's framed with Ryan leaving. Now, obviously, we're watching episode one of a season of television, so we know that something is going to stop Ryan from not leaving the OC. It, the, the show's not called The Chino, right? So, like, we know that he's... Unless, man, could you imagine if this was some weird anthology series of each week Sandy Cohen brings a different troubled child into his home? God, is he, is, he a, is he an attorney or is he fucking faking yeah. from Oliver's Quest? <laughs> exactly. But the, the Honey and the Moon, I just, I really... I really liked that song, and I was like, uh, up until that point, it was going to be swing, swing. I think, um, but but that really that song hit me hit me kind of hard. So you know, one episode in, I'm into this. I'm I'm having a good time. I I am ex- I was excited to to watch episode two as well. So that's a good thing. The only other segment I wanted to add to the show, and trust me, this is episode one. I'm sure there will be many more segments as the. Show- as we discuss more and more of the OC and I become either more of a fan or less of a fan of what I'm watching. But even as someone who never watched the show, it was undeniable that this was like a pop culture phenomenon. Um, So I want it to end each episode where we can highlight other pop culture phenomenons that we are currently obsessed with. And that can be something super current or it could be something that you maybe didn't really watch or pay attention to when it was airing or that you're just revisiting because you love it so much. So Joe, do you have a, a pop culture phenomenon of, of history? And this can include music, books, movies, television, whatever. Um, pop culture phenomenon of just any point in history. Yeah. It can be of any point in history. Something that I'm currently obsessed, currently obsessed with is like, have you, are you watching house of the dragon? I just watched the last episode as of the recording of this, like an hour ago. So this will probably be old hat by the time this will definitely be old hat by the time it comes out. But the one thing that I'm really obsessed with is like, I really want to order at a bar a Negroni Sfagliato with <laughs> Sfagliato with Prosecco, like Sfagliato, but like, cause it sounds tasty, but I'm just kind of like waiting because I don't want to be those, that person who like goes to a bar and is like, can I have a Negroni Sfagliato <laughs> with Prosecco please? And that's the current thing that I'm obsessed with is like getting the courage to order um, to order your drink, but then like not feel the need, that anxious need to qualify that like, I'm not doing this because of the meme. I'm doing this because it sounds cool. I've never heard of it before, but I guess that's like a part of the meme. And so I don't know, maybe I'm a poser. I don't know. I don't want the drink anymore. and like walk yeah. out. You're like, I want to wait until like a couple months pass and it's not what the bartenders are having people order all the time. And then it's just like, I'm just an established fan of this drink that I've never tried before. Exactly. You know what? Maybe when this episode comes That's out, the time to do I, it. Will, yeah. I will go and do it. Um, and I'm going to do a quick shout out to something that was 
a pop culture phenomenon before the OC even was a thing that existed that I know that I watched as it was airing, retained none of it, and decided to do a giant rewatch. Um, similarly to when I watched Gilmore Girls for the first time and used the Gilmore Guys podcast as kind of a uh, an assistant guide, I sure. discovered the Best of Friends podcast, so I'm watching Friends for the first time. Uh, and I'm on season seven currently. I started this about two months ago. Uh, rocked through six and a half seasons uh, thus far. And, you know, Friends isn't a perfect show by any stretch of the imagination. It definitely hasn't aged beautifully in a lot of ways. But when they do an episode like the one with the prom tape, for example, that is just like everything that you want in a sitcom, like there are few shows that do it better. Like when they do it, I heard someone say this about wrestling one time, which is like 99% of the time wrestling is really bad, but the 1% that it isn't, it's better than anything on TV. And I, I feel like that is a really strong argument for how I could describe most of the episodes of friends where it's like 99% of the episodes of friends are like formulaic, forgettable, mediocre sitcoms. But it's that 1%, those 1% episodes that are just so leaps and bounds above like any other sitcom for blending that comedy with that heart with like it's it is truly a sight to be seen when they when they really just like nail it (laughs) well that that particular episode it's like the payoff it's the like it's the culmination and it's in the middle of a season it's (laughs) it's like two, two one and a half seasons of like the will they won't they and it just like it's it's the payoff of it all that just makes it so profound. Dude, Plus it like odds history and, you know, retcons a little bit. Yeah. My favorite friends episode that does that is the one where no one's ready. Yes. Cause it's, it's a bottle episode in the, like that needs to be studied in every TV writing course. And it's just like, it's perfect. And also too, I think why I like it is because it works like a piece of theater. Like you're watching like you're watching a theater, a theatrical presentation the entire time, and it works because of in that. a similar vein. So far, my favorite episode, if I had to pick one, might actually be the one with the jellyfish, specifically for how brilliantly played the scene is where Joey, Monica, and Chandler are all taking turns telling the story of what happened at the beach. Um, yeah. Like, the the line that kills me is Joey just they all look at Joey realizing oh no Joey peed on Monica to stop the the pain of the jellyfish sting and he just said well somebody needed to stand up and do something and then I got stage fright and made Chandler do it <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's it is truly some of the best comedic acting from all three of those actors in that like five minute sequence it's brilliant but yeah i I mean i'm enjoying it i'm sure by the time this episode drops when our show debuts i will probably be completely done friends at the pace that i was moving which is like knocking out a season every week and and some change so yeah and that's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot lot of i'm past the halfway point for sure i'm almost at the three-fourths point at the time that we're recording this so I have I have no doubt that I will be complete that journey will be complete by then. Joe, if people were enjoying our voices because they were just checking out this show, they've never heard anything about us before, but they're just big OC fans and wanted to see what is this white people problems podcast. 
Where can they go to hear more Joe Farron? Yeah, you can hear me. Um, you can hear me here on the Geekscape Network, uh, where um, I am a co-host of uh, Fright School, which is a horror movie podcast that is very different from Horror Movie Night. Um, very much so. so. <laughs> I think there's something for everyone. My co-host Joshua and I have been doing uh, the show for uh, six years now. And basically, when I started, I wasn't a horror movie fan. And uh, now I am a fan in the most kind of uh, wild and bizarre way. Like, I laugh at beheadings and, you know, I get really excited. You're one of us now. My... <laughs> yes, I'm one of, I'm, I am one, I have, I have assimilated. I am now one of the Cenobites. <laughs> um, and... Uh, we we have a you know collection of of different uh, reviews of different movies, recaps of different movies, where we talk about the social, cultural, psychological significance of each of the films. Uh, we're both we're two queer people, so like we also talk about like the queer horror aspect of it, um, and we're also just fun to listen to. So if you you know come for the first part of the episode, stay if you want to learn. A little bit more about you know why the fly is about AIDS, which I still push back on. I I I think that it could be about AIDS. I still every time I watch that movie think that it's an allegory for drug addiction. I think that it hits a lot of the same beats of like he's falling apart, his friends and family are concerned about him. Like, but yeah. yes, I could see both interpretations of it. But when I was watching it one day, I was like, I feel like this is about heroin. And that's the thing too is that we discuss it both and put things in their context and. You know, I'm very much a person where it's like the 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 viewers, the the audience makes the message. They make the meaning of it. Once the um, once the uh, they put it out there in the universe, the creators they have their intention. But like you know, we get to make our meaning. Yeah, it, so. that's a good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you for uh, allowing me to go on this crazy adventure through yeah. the world of the OC, and uh, we'll be back next week with episode two the model home. Network. 